Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. The Peter Schiff Show. Hi, everybody. It is Peter Schiff, and it is Friday, January 8th. And Wall Street just finished the worst opening week to a new year in the history of the stock market. The Dow Jones was down another 1% on Friday to finish the week off better than 1,000 points. It was a 6% decline on the week. Now, there have been weeks that have been down more than 6% in the history of the stock market. In fact, we had one about four years ago. But we've never had a week this bad in the first week of January. Now, the media is coming up with all sorts of excuses, at least the financial media, to blame this big decline on. I mean, earlier in the week, on Monday, they were blaming the sell-off on the rumors that North Korea tested a, a hydrogen bomb. But for most of the week, they were blaming the sell-off in the U.S. stock market on the sell-off in China, despite the fact that China rallied on Friday and we sold off. But the Chinese market was down about 10% on the week, despite the Friday rally. But the U.S. stock market is not falling because of the Chinese stock market. The Chinese stock market and the U.S. stock market are falling for the same reason. It's not that one is causing the other. They're both going down, and the reason they're falling is because of the Fed. The Federal Reserve raised interest rates, as you know, uh, towards the end of December, and they are threatening to raise them again uh, at least four more times based on the most recent minutes. And that is what's causing a problem because the idea, the belief that the Fed is going to keep raising rates is putting pressure on the Chinese currency, the yuan, to decline along with a lot of other currencies that have already fallen substantially against the dollar on anticipation of higher interest rates. And it's the weakness in the Chinese currency that is pulling down the Chinese market, but it's all because of the Fed. But that's the same reason we're going down. If you remember, all year, I was saying that I didn't think the Fed was going to raise rates at all 
in 2015. And the reason for that, and there were several, but one, I thought the economy wouldn't be able to handle it. The Fed always claimed that they were data dependent, and I thought they were hiding behind that. But I thought that they could use the weak data, which I believed would be coming all year, as you know, cover for not raising rates. And in fact, that was their cover up until they backed themselves into a corner. They had been hinting or promising that they would raise rates uh, by the end of the year. And when it got to you know, two weeks left, they felt that if they refused to raise rates, that it would be an admission that the economy was much weaker than they had been forecasting. So they decided to raise rates anyway, despite the fact that the data would have supported that they continue to leave rates at zero. So I said that I thought that the Fed would look at that data and not raise rates. And I also said that I didn't think the stock market could handle a rate hike, that the market had stopped rising based on the absence of quantitative easing. But if the Fed actually increased rates, the air would come out of the bubble a lot faster. I mean, it was seeping out. But once the Fed put a hole in it by actually raising rates, I thought it would go down a lot faster. So I thought that the Fed wouldn't raise rates because I knew that if they did, the markets would tank. And so with the economy going down and the stock market going down, I knew that if the Fed raised rates, the next thing they would do is reduce them back to zero and launch QE4, and they would look like complete fools. And so in order to avoid looking like complete fools, they would just look like a lesser fool and not raise rates at all, and then maybe claim that they were actually smart when they had to launch QE4, because then they can say, oh, you see, it was a good thing we didn't raise rates because the economy ended up going back down and you know we need more stimulus. Instead, they're going to have to come up with an excuse to try to save face because the economy and the stock market are both going down. In fact, we may already be in a recession. The Atlanta Fed has already downgraded their forecast for the fourth quarter of last year to just 0.8%, 0.8. And I think by the time we actually get the first estimate on the 29th of this month, we could actually have a negative number for the fourth quarter. And if you look at all the data that's coming out, and I'll get to some of that in a minute, but we can easily have uh, a negative uh, first quarter of 2016 and we're in recession. And if the economy is in recession and we are either in a bear market in stocks or close to it, you know, we're now in a correction mode. I think we're now off at least 10% from the highs. And I think without the Fed, there's nothing to stop this market from falling. Well, they're going to have to come to the rescue of both the market and the economy with quantitative easing. But if you remember, a lot of analysts were very sanguine about the market's ability to handle a rate hike. But here we are, the Fed raised rates just a few weeks ago, and the Dow has dropped better than 1,000 points, better than 1,100 points, I think, since the Fed raised rates. The one thing that hasn't declined since the Fed raised rates is gold. Gold's actually up better than $40 an ounce since we got that rate hike. And if you remember, everybody was unanimous that if the Fed raised rates, gold was going to tank. Because after all, higher interest rates were going to crush the gold market. But I was saying the opposite because I knew that the price of gold had been falling for years, anticipating the Fed raising rates. So my perspective was, well, when they finally do raise rates, well, then, you know, you buy the rumor, sell the fact. And I thought the price of gold would go up. And in fact, this week alone, the price of gold is up 4%. We closed at over $1,100 an ounce. 
And of course, if you want to measure the stock market in gold, the Dow dropped better than 10% this week in terms of gold, which is a horrible week uh, for for the market in real terms. And I think there is a lot more coming. Now, to me, what's happening right now in the economy and in the markets is very reminiscent of what happened in uh, 2001 or 2008, just before the major meltdowns there. Everybody seems oblivious. Of course, in 2001, it was very different because back then, you know, you had the stock market bubble, but the dollar was at record highs. It had been rising for four or five years based on the idea that we were going to pay off the national debt, that we had surpluses as far as the eye can see. The rest of the world was a mess and everything in America uh, was perfect. Yet there was evidence that that was not the case, yet people ignored it until it was too late, even more so in 2008. Because by early 2008, all of the problems that I had been warning about for years in the housing market were finally blowing up. I mean, you can see uh, that there was a big problem. Yet everybody was still oblivious. And of course, it was very frustrating to me, argue with people in early 2008, people who were telling me that there wasn't going to be a recession anywhere in sight. And we were already in one. People who said there was no housing bubble and it was obvious that it already burst. And then they would say, well, you know, it's contained to subprime. You don't have to worry about it. It's just in subprime. And I kept saying, no, it's the entire mortgage market. It's not just subprime. Well, they're doing the same thing now in every aspect. I mean, first of all, look at manufacturing. Manufacturing is clearly in a recession. In fact, even Wall Street bulls will acknowledge that we are in an industrial recession. But then they say not to worry because manufacturing is a small part of the economy and it's contained in manufacturing. First of all, the fact that manufacturing is a small part of the economy, that is a big problem in and of itself because it shouldn't be. But to believe that the problems that we're witnessing are contained to the manufacturing sector, yeah, they're as contained to the manufacturing sector as mortgage problems were contained to subprime. They're not. In fact, the biggest irony is that the consumer and the service sector is actually in worse shape than the manufacturing sector. In fact, the manufacturing sector could come back at some point. The consumer is going to go down for the count because the only thing sustaining the consumer right now is credit, the fact that he can borrow money and spend it, and the fact that the things he's buying are artificially cheap because the dollar is artificially high because everybody believes that this bubble is a legitimate recovery and the Fed can actually raise rates without pricking it. But once uh, the dollar turns and the credit dries up, there goes the consumer. Meanwhile, all the evidence is already there that the consumer has run out of purchasing power despite the fact that we got a better-than-expected jobs report uh, that came out today. And I want to talk about that because so many people, again, look at the jobs numbers as proof that the economy is strong, yet they ignore all the other data points that show that it's not strong. In fact, all of the data that nobody seems to care about is weak, all of it. Yet the one data point and the only data point that anybody seems to care about The jobs numbers come out strong, at least superficially are strong. But what should really give people pause is that all the data that is weak is forward-looking. The jobs data is backward-looking. It's a lagging indicator. Employers do not lay people off because they see a recession coming. 
They laid people off because they've been blindsided by a recession that they didn't see coming. And I think all these jobs that we got in 2015 and, and, and 2014, assuming we actually got them, because I think the government may have overestimated these jobs, and they may come back and tell us later on that they were way off. But assuming these jobs are real, I think a lot of them are going to be lost in 2016 when this recession begins. And of course, a lot of these jobs are low-paying jobs and temporary jobs and part-time jobs anyway, but they are going to be lost when the recession begins. But all the other data shows there's a recession. And what really drives me crazy is when I see these analysts on television and they actually will acknowledge this dichotomy. And they'll say, well, it's kind of strange. There's a disconnect because, see, you got the great jobs numbers and you got all this other data is bad. And their conclusion is that all the other data must be wrong and that the jobs data are right, which makes no sense. Because if you get all these data points that say one thing and then you get one outlier that says something else, why would you assume it's the outlier that's the right uh, information? And all the other information is wrong, right? The logical conclusion is there's something wrong with the jobs numbers. But no one wants to see it that way. They all want to make lemons out of lemonade, so they're just going to look at the jobs numbers and claim that everything is okay. Now, let's get into the non-farm payroll number. This was the, the number for December. It was the last month of the year. And, of course, December is going to include a lot of part-time jobs because people are hiring for the Christmas season. I mean, how many Santa Clauses do you think all the department stores had to hire uh, for the month of December? Those jobs are in there, right? But anyway... We were supposed to create 200,000 jobs. That was the consensus. And we came in at 292,000. I mean, way above estimates. But not only did we beat the estimate, but they went back to the prior two months and they revised those up about 50,000 a month each. So we actually got about 200,000 more jobs in the quarter than people had anticipated. Now, the unemployment rate held steady at 5%. The only blemish on this report was our average hourly earnings, which were actually down slightly instead of up two-tenths of one percent, which was the forecast. So this was the data point that people point to and say, oh, the U.S. economy is, uh, is, is strong because look at all this job growth. But again, all this is backward looking and all these jobs are going to go away because all of the other data, including data that came out today, shows how weak the economy really is. And of course, it doesn't even make sense if the Atlanta Fed is right. If GDP is barely above zero, how is an economy that's barely growing creating all these jobs? I mean, none of that makes sense. Now, all the data that came out earlier in the week was also bad, but I don't want to get into that in this video blog because I already discussed it in two podcasts that I recorded earlier in the week. So if you haven't listened to those, go to Shift Radio and listen to my two most recent podcasts where I go over in depth all the economic data that came out earlier in the week prior to the fact that we got uh, this jobs report on Friday. But we got two other reports today that, again, no one's going to talk about these reports because they're bad and because nobody cares. One of them was on wholesale trade. And wholesale trade numbers were bad. And in fact, this is one of the reasons that the Atlanta Fed revised down their GDP forecast today was because of these bad numbers on wholesale trade. They were expecting a flat number for November. Instead, we got minus three tenths of a percent. And they went and they revised down the number for the prior month from minus 0.1 to minus 0.3. But the biggest problem was 
that inventories were declining on a wholesale level, mainly because sales were declining even faster. I mean, inventories went down, but sales went down even faster. So the inventory to sales ratio actually went up despite the fact that inventories went down. It's now at 1.32. This is the highest it's been since the Great Recession of 2008, 2009. In fact, the only other time that we have been this high uh, in the um, in the last, what, 15 years or so was in 2001 when we were also in a recession. In fact, there is a lot of data that came out this week where we have not seen data this bad unless we were in a recession. So one or two things are possible. We're actually in a recession, which makes sense because we have all this data that we have never seen unless we were in a recession, or there's something really weird about this recovery where it's a recovery that actually looks like a recession. Now, to me, it makes sense that if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and walks like a duck, it's a duck. And this recovery looks like a recession and quacks like a recession and walks like a recession. So you know what? It probably is a recession. It's just that the Fed doesn't want to admit it because the minute the Fed has to admit it's a recession, they have to admit that their policy didn't work. See, meanwhile, uh, Ben Bernanke wrote a book, you know, The Courage to Act. And of course, you know, I said he should have called it The Coward's Way Out, but he did a whole book tour proclaiming victory, right? Everything is fine. Well, if the Fed has to go back to zero, then that proves that it's not. I mean, the raising of interest rates was supposed to be the icing on the cake, right? The, the, the economy is great, and we're going to prove it by raising rates. See, one of the reasons I thought they wouldn't raise rates is because they could pretend that they could. Because the minute they actually raise interest rates, they prove they can't. See, they wanted to pretend the economy was strong enough to withstand a rate hike. But I knew if they actually raised rates, they would prove that it wasn't. And that is exactly what's happening. And, you know, the economy was already slowing down before the rate hike, right? Now, they're, they're just accelerating uh, the process. Now, the other weak number we got today was consumer credit. And consumer credit was supposed to uh, expand. They were looking for $18.8 billion. Instead, we got growth of just $14 billion, right? That's the lowest of the year. And if you look at auto loans, the growth of those, that's the lowest in four years. And there's all sorts of evidence that the auto bubble has burst. I mean, I discussed that in my other podcasts uh, earlier this week. But there's ample evidence that that Federal Reserve-induced bubble in basically subprime auto loans and auto buying has burst. I mean, the evidence is crystal clear. And of course, a lot of this phony recovery was based on people buying cars they couldn't afford with cheap credit. And as this bubble bursts, and all these automobiles are piling up on showrooms that nobody can buy anymore, there's going to be massive layoffs in the auto sector. There's going to be massive layoffs in the the supply chain. Not only there, I was saying all last year that I thought we were going to have a bad uh, holiday season for the retailers and that the layoffs were going to begin uh, early in 2016. And sure enough, Macy's, uh, who has reported lousy results, announced massive layoffs earlier this week. And of course, more uh, layoffs are coming. Look, the Gap came out today uh, with bad earnings at, at uh, Old Navy. The stock price was down uh, 15% on the day. I think it's back down to where it was. Uh, almost. It's almost at the same price as 2004, 2005. It's not quite at its 2009 low yet, uh, but it's, it's, it, you know, it could be there very soon. But all these retailers are blowing up. In fact, the financials are starting to blow up. We're seeing layoffs there. And so it's only a matter of time 
before we start to see some negative non-farm payroll numbers. But of course, by then it's too late to avoid the recession. We're going to be knee deep in it. One of the most ridiculous excuses I heard today as to why, you know, nothing that's happening internationally matters uh, was from Steve Leisman, the uh, senior economist over at CNBC. And, you know, never believe anything that comes from a, a television economist. But he was trying to reassure uh, the CNBC audience that we have nothing to worry about from what's going on overseas. Now, I, I don't believe that our stock market is falling because foreign stock markets are falling. But they do. And what Leesman was trying to say was, hey, we don't have to worry. Just because things are bad overseas doesn't mean they're going to be bad here because we are the least globally dependent economy in the world. This is what he said. He basically said that we're an island unto ourselves. We're self-sustaining and self-sufficient. And so it doesn't matter what's happening in other economies because we don't need any other economies. We can function on our own. Now, he acknowledged that that might not be the case for the stock market, right? Because obviously we have a lot of uh, multinational companies and clearly what happens internationally affects those companies. And he acknowledged that. But he said the U.S. economy is a different story and the stock market is not the economy and the economy can be fine because it doesn't matter what happens overseas because, you know, we're so, so self-sufficient and we don't really care. It doesn't, we don't depend on anybody else. And that is such a laugh because... Not only is that not true, it couldn't be further from the truth because the United States is probably the most economically dependent country in the history of the world. I mean, think about it. We run trade deficits of about $500 billion a year, a little bit more. So every two years, we have to borrow over a trillion dollars from the world. We depend on the world for all the goods that we're consuming, all these consumer goods come from other countries. I mean, to say that we are independent, imagine what it would be like in America if we didn't have any foreign products, if we could only consume the products we produced ourselves. I mean, how different would life be in America? I mean, is it possible that we could begin making some of the products that we're now importing? Sure, but they might cost two or three times as much. How many people can afford to buy them? Our standard of living would collapse if it wasn't for the rest of the world, supplying us with all these goods at prices that we could never produce the goods for ourselves. Also, what about all the money we borrow, right? Americans can't spend if they can't borrow. Where's all that money coming from? We don't save anything. It's the rest of the world that does the saving for us. So they loan us the money that we spend, and they produce the goods that we consume. Yet Steve Leesman thinks that we're completely independent of the rest of the world, and it doesn't matter what happens. Of course it matters. And what's ultimately going to happen is when the Federal Reserve is forced to acknowledge for whatever reason, that we are back in recession and they have got to rev up those printing presses once again and in an even bigger way. Because remember, when the Fed screws up an economy by keeping interest rates artificially low, right? the lower they are, for the longer they remain there, the more screwed up the economy gets. And it was pretty screwed up during the financial crisis. I mean, imagine you know how much worse it's going to be now. Because Alan Greenspan, he had interest rates at 1% kept them there for, what, a year and a half, and then he slowly raised them back up to five. And during that period of time, he did so much damage to the economy that, you know, we had the financial crisis of 2008, and it was, you know, it was another, almost a repeat of the Great Depression. Well, imagine the extent of the damage that's been done in the last seven years. I mean, seven years of 0% interest rates with a balance sheet of $4.5 I mean, this is on a, on a level 
that is, it's like on a Richter scale level, you know, where it's, it's the, the, the damage that the Fed has done is a multiple of what it was before. So this next crisis is going to require a much bigger round of stimulus than the last, if that's even possible. But I don't think it is, because I think the next round of stimulus is going to be the one that we overdose on, right? The real reason that the stock market is tanking and the economy is headed back into recession, it's not because of North Korea. It's not because of China. It's because the Federal Reserve is taking the heroin away, the monetary heroin away from the drug addicts. And even though they're still giving us some heroin, because after all, interest rates are barely above zero, the problem is it's not enough because they got everybody addicted to an even bigger dose. And now that they've tried to dial back the dosage, it isn't working. And the withdrawal is already setting in. But the problem is the amount of monetary heroin they're going to have to inject in everybody's system to try to stimulate us back from this is going to be a lethal dose. And when I mean lethal, I mean to the currency and then ultimately the economy. And that is the biggest irony because the dollar has had this huge rally because everybody believes that this recovery is genuine. Everybody believes that what the Fed did worked. You know, just like they believed everything was great in 1999, early 2000, or just like they believed it was great at the end of 07 or early 08, it's the same people making the same mistake because it's the same problem, only bigger. The Fed didn't solve the problem. It created the problem, and then it covered it up and made it much bigger, and the consequences are about to materialize when we get this reversal. And I think the reversal in the foreign exchange market, in the commodity market, in the gold market is going to be very sharp because people are all going to come to the same conclusion at the same time. And everybody is on the wrong side of the trade. Everybody is positioned for the wrong outcome. And when they realize how wrong they are and that they have to reposition, it's impossible because everybody's coming to that same conclusion at once and the bottom drops out of the market and you see these huge, huge moves in a very short period of time. Well, given that the stock market closed on the low of the week, and it is a Friday, uh, you know, there is a potential for a follow-through decline on Monday. And of course, there could be a lot more weakness coming uh, throughout the remainder of the month. You know, there's an old adage on Wall Street, you know, so goes January, so goes the rest of the year. And generally, the first, the month of January is determined by the first week. And the first week generally gets determined by the first day. And so far, the first day of January was a very good indicator for the first week. And the first week is probably going to be a good indicator for the first month and the first year. And again, the only thing that I believe will stop a full-fledged bear market, and not just a regular bear market, a vicious bear market. Remember, the last two times that Fed bubbles burst, the Dow lost about half its value. And so I think this market would lose at least half of its value, if not more, if the Fed actually were to follow through with its promised rate hikes. The only reason I think that the downside will be limited to maybe 20% is because I believe the Fed is not going to follow through with these rate hikes. I believe that they're going to reduce rates back to zero and launch QE4. The only question is, how much more is the Fed going to allow? How much more pain is the Fed going to allow? And how much longer is the Fed going to deny that the recession is coming in order to save face and to pretend that A, that their policies worked and that B, that their forecast was correct and the decision to raise rates 
was a prudent one. So keep tuning in. You know, make sure to listen to my uh, my podcast because I'll probably do several of them next week. And there's going to be a lot going on. And you're going to want to get my take on the markets, on the economy throughout the week. You're not going to want to wait for the next video blog. So again, you can you can get the podcasts at shiftradio.com or you can watch him on my YouTube channel, Shift Report. Bye for now. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They are all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is truth in media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with truthinmedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, truthinmedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make truthinmedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into the Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit truthinmedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access the Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed.